So hello, Upen Singh. Thanks for joining me uh, on today's episode. And as I personally would describe Upen as a writer, triathlete, and a critical thinker who's questioning his own beliefs and thoughts constantly. That's at least how I met you in Thailand in Chiang Mai. And there was one interesting quote that sort of popped out in, in the Medium article that you wrote about yourself, which was, one must question everything, especially the values and traditions that have been pre-programmed in us. So just with that, I uh, would like to welcome you and thanks for joining me. Well, Julian, thank you so much for inviting me here to your podcast. Uh, it's, it's, well, first of all, it's great to see you. It's been a while. And uh, secondly, you know, uh, uh, I, I feel honored to be at, in your podcast. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. It's so nice to hear. Yeah. We had so, so deep conversations on this, just like tiny table in the, in the digital nomad meetup. And right after that, I was like, okay, I need to know more about this person, uh, who's thinking really interestingly and has an, for me, at least from my perspective, an interesting life. So I wanted to know more about it. And yeah, just starting starting off with this quote that I read in your your Medium article because you wrote so many things that on Medium already that I just like I'll call. He spent a lot of time writing already. So there was th this quote of like one must question everything, especially the values and traditions that have been pre-programmed in us. Right. What like just to give a little like idea of what do you mean by that? Because it's yeah, like a very so, deep quote for me, at least. Yeah, the point I wrote that, and I still feel the same way about it, uh, is that we are you know, self-programmable robots, right? So we're born, mm -hmm. uh, get out of our, of our mother's womb, or even in the womb, you know, the programming starts right there with the environment. And um, even the thoughts we think about, the emotions we feel, uh, the imaginations we have, there is a reason for that, right? It's, it's what input do we have in our lives? Did we get in the past? And all of that shapes us who we are right now. And for someone to say that um, this is my identity, this is who I am. I'm from this religion, from this nationality, from this, you know, um, location. Um, and to look at those identities as something fixed is... Um, It's just silly in a way because we're constantly changing, you know. And um, if I eat something right now, five minutes from later, that's going to affect me. That's at a very, very simple, basic le level. But now if you mm. go deeper into the programming, what we've been taught through our parents, society, and school in general, that has shaped us who, to become who we are now. So what I meant in that article, really, that quote was, do you, do you really want to be defined by your own past programming or do you want to go beyond that because what's beyond might be much more expansive deeper you know something you haven't experienced yet so mm -hmm. shall we get out of that programming yeah oh okay so it was really meant from that perspective that we have learned so much and even even when we just when we're just born that that shapes the way we think, the way we behave, the way uh, we feel, maybe even. Um, and and like what was especially interesting in 
my recent journey in in the Vipassana retreat as well was for me noticing that I do not have control about the thoughts that are popping up into my mind. So there was just like a, a, a gazillion thoughts during the day coming into my mind and I had no um, sort of power control over which of these thoughts were coming up. And that, yes. that was really the what was reminding me this quote about that we don't have control over the thoughts that are coming up because that's really shaped by all the experiences that we had already. So that's sort yes. of... That's amazing. I'm glad you shared that your experience on uh, Vipassana. Uh, I had similar experience and, you know, just being able to detach from our own thoughts, sensations, and being able to observe those sensations and thoughts gives us a certain kind of freedom, right? So um, who is Julian? Who is Upen? You know, are you Julian, the Julian, the name, J-U-L-I-A-N, or <laughs> can you change now, you know? So same thing with thoughts. Um, thoughts, in a way, to be dry about it, chemical reactions, right, in the brain, on the body. <laughs> so mm -hmm. can we change the reactions too, you know? So, yeah, these are interesting things to think about. Um, but I think the beauty really comes when we put it into practice. And Vipassana, I think, is a great technique for that too, yeah. Okay, that, that we immediately jumped really deep into, okay, what are thoughts and how... Uh, what you also meant was like, okay, what is the really the practical part from that? And maybe to really understand where you're coming from, I wanted to also go a bit backwards in time because now you're uh, the, the Upen right now, uh, mm -hmm. whatever word I can find for that. But that that was that person was shaped by all the experiences that you had. So I guess in order to really understand uh, who you are right now, can we go back? Uh, couple of years couple of years meaning back to back to where you grew up and and how that was for you because i think that was very impactful at least how it was written again on on your medium articles can you oh, can you bring okay, us sure. in uh, how that was for you uh, growing up in uh, nepal yes sure so my um I'll do my best to recollect my past, uh, and I'm sure that all of that has a lot to do with who I am today, right? And mm -hmm. um, the and thanks for asking this question because one of the things I also wanted to mention about our identity is um, the past does shape us, and it it's silly to say that that's the past, forget about it, let me move on. You know, they do program us in a certain way, so. Uh, people's traumas, you know, their, um, the good things they've had, the joy. Um, it is, from my experience, I've learned that it's better to give meanings to those experiences and move, grow from there as opposed to trying to cut them off because it doesn't work mm. like that, you know. We are, uh, we feel things and um, there are parts of our families, the past, that are in us so it's better to transmute or transform those memories traumas you know joyful events in such a way that we can progress in life we can become a better version of ourselves right okay so i'll go to your question which is i was born in a uh, uh, in the mountainous area of nepal um, very remote yes very remote and um no hospitals there. Um, 
I was I had a uh, what's called a home delivery. My nanny mm-hmm. was there, um, so my mom was in the house. Uh, I think she was just working on the field uh, in the afternoon. Um, so that was my birth, and um, the way I grew up was, you know, non-conventional really in that in that sense compared to today's standards. So, uh, but my mother was really the one who said, you know, let me. I have five siblings, you know, so let me take take the kids to to Kathmandu and see if and, and get them educated there so they can actually you know speak english and learn things you know <laughs> yeah. so a uh, long story short and you know my dad was also a teacher so they were both very conscious in that uh, they wanted their kids to have good education back then you know so then uh, i was put in a boarding school uh, in Kathmandu uh, a, a good school back then and that's where I had my education. Um, fast forward to after high school, I worked as a journalist in the uh, in a newspaper called the Kathmandu Post. A um, lot of learning, not an easy job, but a lot of learning there. And also ended up smoking a lot, you know, cigarettes, because it was a highly st- stressful job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a year into that job, then I uh, applied for a university in the United States. So I got my, I, I got admitted there with scholarship, then got uh, my undergraduate degree there, and also later on graduate degree, uh, graduate uh, degree there, and uh, worked about five years in in Washington D.C. area for a nonprofit, mm-hmm. and after that, um, traveled the world about three years, and now you know, and met my partner Abu there as well from Chiang Mai, Thailand, and now we're here. Since the pandemic, we haven't traveled, so it used to be that in the past, my ident- identity was one of my identity was, hey, I'm traveling, and I'm, you know, that was it, go, 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 and explore the world and take nice pictures and show off a little bit, you know, tell stories. And after <laughs> the pandemic, it was like, okay, look inwards, <laughs> you have nowhere else mm-hmm. to go, you know, and. I remember one day I was gardening um, and then the past traumas came back, you know, so, and mm. that was a whole different journey that I'm like, okay, there is a way in words to emotional wisdom. There should be. And what can I do now? So that got me into the path of seeking more emotional wisdom. What are the techniques, tools, and the understanding yeah. I need to get to actually and, do the inner engineering too. Yeah. yeah. And what yeah. were like some of um, the, let's say meaningful um, experiences in your childhood, whatever age you want to want to put that in, um, d- that you remember or that shaped you in a way as okay, that had really significant influence on who I am today. Ah, okay. Um, okay, yes. So one of the um, Things I remember clearly was really about meditation. So six years old, I was dropped off into this boarding school. And I remember the first day sitting on that green bench, just feeling numb, you know. And now I realize what that was. It was really all my defenses acting up, defending me from feeling all that pain, you know, being away from home. And uh, it just, everything just froze. Uh, I thought I was having a spiritual moment, but it wasn't really. It was my <laughs> system shutting down. So what happened after that was I I learned about meditation. I sort of discovered it on my own. So I, I found myself going to bed at night and just looking at the stars or thinking of them. 
and you're going into this deeper state of connection where like, okay, I feel quite lonely. Now let me actually see if I can think of things or feel things that, that are out there, you know? And that was really my introduction to, um, uh, meditation sort of self-discovery, you know, and, uh, I would see these fractal patterns, um, and feel about them in a certain special way too. So that was one meditation. And the other one I was, I had a, a special teacher, you know, he kind of, he was kind of flamboyant, you know, the way he acted was different and very full of, you know, full of action and style. And, um, but one of the things he taught was really about, um, action and reaction, you know, there is a choice in between. Later on, I learned through mm-hmm. books like, you know, Stephen Covey's books and all that, but seven, six, seven, eight years old, he was the first guy to say, okay, you know what, Upen, I'm going to come and try to take your stuff. What you going to do, you know? And you'd say things like, you know what, you don't have to fight back. You can just yield, let that person go. I'm like, okay, now I see what he was trying to do, you know? And he would come and surprise us like we'd be walking with our kind of food, on a bag and he'd come and try to snatch it and like he'd, he'd like threaten us like what do you want to fight me and of course the what he was trying to teach us was you don't have to you know just let that person go let it go you know and yeah and, and then he was a it was good to have a teacher like him um other childhood experiences i would say was um yeah a lot of lot of the learnings actually just came from reading books honestly. So this information that was not relevant to the society I was in, but I could, you know, like the book Walden, you know, and um, mm. there was self-development books. Um, and um, yeah, many, many books that just gave me, stirred my imagination. Yeah. Oh, okay. So like you, you had like this very significant teacher who taught you, okay, how you can react at, at an age of was six seven you said yeah that's super yeah. early as well as meditation yeah uh, and for me like now i think i more or less discovered it when i was 18 19 uh, meditation but n- that's always now interesting to me i think it's so impactful but i would have wanted it even earlier so another yeah. question is how how do you think it actually well first of all do you think it made a difference for you knowing meditation that early on Oh, yes, totally. I mean, it was the go-to technique or go-to location for uh, regulating my emotions and well-being, mm-hmm. you know. So if you look at, let's say, you know, I have a few cats um, and now dogs. Let's talk about dogs. One of the dogs is has PTSD, you know, because of the way she was, I guess, raised uh Every time she sees a stranger or something weird around her, she starts barking and panicking. Sometimes she'll run away. She can't eat. So you have to do this, massage her, pet her. She feels good and she'll eat, right? So Mm -hmm. as a kid, meditation did the same thing for me. Something happened in the external environment. You know, there would be some kind of trauma, fear or whatever emotions take over. So I knew that, okay, you know what? Let me calm down. Let me just go into that place. And there, the emotions I could regulate, things would balance, balance out. And I would feel good, uh, at least normal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what I experience right now as well. And I'm super grateful to have that tool now to be able to 
sort of observe the thoughts, notice the emotion that are arising, and then most of the time just letting them pass or letting them calm down so I can then decide again, having this room, the space, the openness to to make an actual conscious, conscious decision rather than just being reactive. So right. exactly what you just meant. And um, that brings me... And of course, me, one of the things, Julian, I guess also yeah. because of our cultural difference, I'm assuming you grew up in Europe, yes? Yes, in Germany. Okay. In Germany, yes. So maybe, well, actually Germany does incorporate a lot of the uh, Vedic literature and practices, if I remember correctly. But at least in the cultural differences where I was brought up, brought up, um, uh, kirtans, you know, this sitting down meditation was, it's not a new concept. So yeah. in a way, I had been primed to do that from the environment as well, you know, mm. so, and it was not an abnormal thing to do. So if someone just sat there and did this, it's cool, you know, I guess if you did that in a school in the US, like in a seven, eight year old quick kid did it, everybody would be like, what are you doing? Is he okay? You know, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think that was in the beginning also the reaction that I got. Um, at least for ah. my parents, that was a very new concept. I was I was just reading it in some books that oh, some of the the um, uh, successful whatever that means people are I'm doing meditation. I was like okay, I'll I'll give it a shot. And then I just uh, was sitting there in the morning and evening in my room just for like 10, 15, maybe twenty minutes to meditate. And then sometimes my parents were walking by like. Um, are, you, are you good? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm trying this thing called meditation and just seeing what it does. And um, when I was telling them, okay, what does it do? I'm not yet sure, <laughs> exactly. but, it, right. but it sort of like heightens my awareness. That was the beginning. Like I just noticed, oh, like whatever touch after the meditation feels like so intense and it's like, that probably freaked them out even more. It's like, what the fuck? I take it. Um, but yeah, that that was sort of like the beginning for me. I never saw anyone doing it really. So oh. I just started by myself. Yeah. Wow. Wow. How old were you? I was, I'm curious when you did that. Uh, 18, 19, I think oh. right after high school. Yeah. When oh. high school stopped, I started all the good things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you yeah. have to stop the formal education <laughs> to get on. Yeah, that things. was that was for me really the case. Then okay. right after high school, I stopped. Uh, no, I started uh, meditation. I started reading before in high school. I like hated reading all the time. Anything I need to read, I tried to go around and um, started getting up early just by myself and wanted to like sort of write plans for myself wanted what i wanted to do started to learn how how to learn how your brain works when you try to learn new concept how you can actually remember things and all of that stuff right after high school ended <laughs> wow so it was interesting yeah i don't know when it stopped and I, I got sort of bored i was like okay what do i do next and then just those things emerged naturally Wow, I, we have a similarity in our stories because as, for me as well, after high school, I I left the country, you know, and yeah, that, that was a whole new chapter in my life. So a lot of my learnings too came from experiences too, you know, like doing these yeah. those odd things, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and same as you, you went to uh, America, I went to Australia right after high school. So like I had a couple of months uh, still at home and that's where when I did all those things. And then I went to Australia for like six months 
and that also sh shifted and shaped my perspective now and my way of living before i was like the the german like car mechanic i was probably going to be and then afterwards i came back i was like hi mom hi dad i want to be a psychologist now <laughs> oh wow. so it, it really was very very shifting uh experience to go to australia just seeing for me it was really just being exposed to different ways of living so there were people like between 20, 35 who were having completely odd and different lifestyle. For me, it was very much the very, let's say, structured German way. After high school, I go studying. Most of the time, it's a somewhat mechanical or hard engineering science kind of thing. And then afterwards, you get a job. And then at some point, you get pension and that's it. You know, somewhere in between the family. But yeah, that, that was part of sort of the perspective that I had for my life. And then I went to Australia and was like, wait a minute. There are people who are doing different things. Can I do that too? Can I have a different kind of lifestyle? And that really opened uh, and broadened my perspective of what life could be like and that I can actually choose something. And yeah, then I was just like fascinated by body language and by just learning stuff about how my mind works. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, then I became uh, a student of psychology and my own mind, I guess, even more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it shows you are um, probably the one of the most relaxed Germans who smiles a lot. <laughs> 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 so it shows maybe going to Australia and, you know, having all those experiences, you know, again, talking about identity, right? You're no longer yeah. limited to your nationality, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, you, you've gone much further than that, expanded and gone deeper. Yeah. yeah. And that's also what I think, like, brought me most of the times the the most expansion or the most new things that I that I feel connected to right now when I left my usual surroundings my usual comfort zone i guess or when i just stayed in the same place and had the same things happening my routines going on that's nice for a while but it also restricted in having new experiences and just the ability to think differently than the day before and i think that that really was a shift in going to a different place a different lifestyle is really really yeah. helpful with that yeah it, it, it you just when you're sharing experiences about, you know, going traveling and going to a different place, uh, just occurred to me, when we do that, what we do really is we create a forcing function, right? So let's say you find yourself waking up in Australia or, you know, in Thailand or somewhere, then you don't really have a lot of choice about on going back to your normal ways of living. You know, if you're with, at home with your parents or, you know, your family, you're like, okay, you know, let me be lazy, there's food on the table, but you're in a totally new environment. So you are now forced to uh, not only accept the change in your environment, but actually uh, embrace it and, mm -hmm. you know, apply it to your life. So now you're doing different things, you know, so... And I guess um, that's one of the things that I've learned about these triathlon races and training for it, you know, is that when you race, 
uh, I used to think that it's really a competition with with the other athletes. But you know, at least here in Thailand, we're always giving high fives and you know thumbs up to one another because we understand that the race is really like like the cliche: <laughs> the race is with ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. and we're again just like traveling to a new country. We are immersing ourselves in a um, forcing function where like, okay, you know what? Everybody's racing. So let me do my best and let me get the best out of me. And you find yourself really pushing physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah. So, yeah. I just wanted to share that after I I heard your story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Then let's, let's, maybe that there's also perfect connection then to the the concept that I still want to talk about, which is uh, you wrote about the experiential wisdom yeah. And uh, what you really mean by that, and maybe you can even connect that to a triathlon. It seems suited, but if not, it's also fine. Oh yes, so experiential wisdom. Um, yes, so for me, um, a lot of my learnings came, still does come from books, reading. Yeah. Okay. And I find that there is almost a contradiction. Sometimes when things happen in real life, but I know the theory, but the way I act is sometimes the opposite, <laughs> right? Yeah. The easiest example is jealousy, easiest, right? Uh, uh, not only in romantic relationships, but, you know, it, even in families and, you know, like work, jealousy is there all the time. Um, so... Experiential wisdom is, to me, is something that you learn through experience by actually living through it. Um, feeling of vengefulness, same thing, right? A lot of these emotions are rooted in the same programming, I would say, uh, that we have somehow subconsciously uh, programmed in such a way that it's defending us it does serve a purpose right so there is a reason where we know something is right but we can't feel it or we can't really act on it because it is serving a function now i used to think that oh it's really bad you know but that's really not the case so um do do you maybe have an example for that yes maybe makes it easy to grasp yes so Let's say vengefulness, right? Um, let's say you're bullied as a boy in school or a girl. You're old now, you know, uh, you're mature. And you know very well that that's the past, you know. There's no way for me to go and try to take revenge. No point, right? There's no logical sense. But you know that certain things happen or the memories come back and you feel this thing happening mm-hmm. oh man i'm so angry this is such a small thing you know maybe someone punched you on the face or kicked you whatever it was you know but the anger is still there right so the that's the experiencing self that i'm talking about right now the intellectual self you know yes it understands oh logic let it go but that experiencing self is still experiencing it like there's no time and space and you have to ask yourself why why is that happening right so because the way I understand it is the it's still processing that emotion. And one of the one of the functions it has is it's protecting you 
from venturing out or repeating that same experience again so that you don't get bullied or you didn't you don't get threatened right so in mm. a way it's protecting you so there is some sense to to that still being existent now the way to handle that is one of the way to handle that is that again we talk about emotional regulation we talked about meditation like vipassana and all that so these things have to happen so that we release that energy you know um there's a book I'm sure you'd have heard of it. The body keeps the score. So uh, it's really about traumas. You know how the body is so powerful that as a kid we don't know, we don't understand the mature world. So every traumas we face, the body will trap that energy and hold it for us. So when we're mature later on, then it starts releasing it. That's why people relive their traumas again, and that's exactly what's happening. So. Um, Going back to experiencing uh, uh, wisdom or the experiencing uh, self awareness is the more experiences we seek in life, the more we get out of what's called the comfort zone, right? Mm. Uh, not only do we really experience new things, but we also allow those past stock energies, traumas to find their way out and that way we can actually sense feel freedom yes so it's also not only it's not only is it about getting new things but also let, removing the things that have been stuck for a long time mm. so that i would say that is also experiential wisdom yes and and how do you do that like on a, in a practical way how would you go about oh i notice something either i'm stuck or i'm like being in the comfort zone and yes. how do you go through something like great that? question i love it so there are actually three techniques right that I <laughs> there use. we go <laughs> one is uh i i would say the easiest one is what, what i call tiny habits it was actually um uh well described by a behavioral scientist called B.J. Fogg, right? He has a book called Tiny Habits. So the way you do it is um, whatever challenge you have uh, or whatever experience you're trying to get, the new one, you sandwich that in a routine, meaning that let's say very small example, you're trying to teach a kid how to uh, brush their teeth, right? So what the parents could do is, okay, what's the mm, trigger moment? Meaning that, okay, it's evening time right before bed. Then you tell your kid, okay, let's go brush your teeth. You show them. And after they brush the teeth, then maybe you give them a high five. Not a cookie. That would be a good reward. But then if you give them a cookie, that would, you know, go against the yeah. purpose. So you give them a high five or a hug, you know. So you build that habit right between a trigger and then a, a reward moment, right? So you kind of do that, and what happens is eventually the brain can, you know, learn to remember. It rewires it because it's going after that reward of hug or a high five or in some cases even a cookie. Right? So that's one way to do it. Um, quite easy, I would say. Now, the one that I prefer is called the challenge skills sweet spot. It was put into words uh, in a book by uh, Stephen Kotler, and the scientist who actually did the research is... His name is Mihaly Chidensky. Uh, Sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm mispronouncing Chik his name. Chiksenmihail? Something there like that. Go. That's it, yes. Yeah. Oh, Chiksenmihail. Chiksenmihail. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
So um, challenge, skill, sweet spot. So what you do there is here it's important to understand the the concept of flow, right? So where does flow actually happen? Uh, it happens right between um, when something is just challenging enough that you're not anxious and you're not bored either, right? So it's it's where you find that sweet spot. So that's the one I like to do and is that what's the max I can take today in terms of a challenge, you know, and the minimum so that I won't get bored. So for instance, let's take triathlon right there. Mm -hmm. So right now my swimming space is 400 meters. Uh, it used to be just last week, three minutes. Um, sorry, let's say four minutes. I'm just pulling that number. I don't remember. But yesterday I had an event and I actually improved that score. Uh, and my new pace now is, let's say, three minutes, right? So there's mm -hmm. a one minute increase. How did I do that is that is every time I coach, I have a coach, and every time I practice swimming or train on my own, um, I would focus on a few techniques, right? So which is right now I'm working so that I don't really lift my chest too high and I can breathe without, because when you lift the chest high, it creates a drag and then, you know, it slows you down. So that's one yeah. technique I'm working on. So you kind of just work on one technique, hone it down, you know, and get better and better at it. So that's my challenge skill spot, sweet spot, sorry. Now, had I focused on everything, the hands, the legs, the chest, everything at the same time, it would have been very hard. And I would probably been, uh, I could easily be discouraged or even anxious about it. So that's not the sweet spot, right? You want to find a spot where it just fits like, okay, I can do this. It's challenging, but I can do this. And, and I'm excited to do that. So that's the second technique. Third one is a bit scary. It's just going right through your vulnerability, right? So where, <laughs> let's say you hate public speaking. So what you do is you muster up the courage, get up and go and speak in front of the crowd and just do it. But this, uh, from my experience, this also proves to be the fastest way, way to grow. Yeah, so mm. um, so there are risks to that, but that, that, is, that is one of the techniques that I use sometimes, but not a lot, yeah. Now I'm curious, when did you use that last technique the last time? How, how did that go? Good question. Let's see. <clears throat> You'll have to give me some time here. Okay, let's see. Um, vulnerable. Okay. Um, I would say that was signing up for a triathlon race where you had to swim in the lake. Um, I was really scared. Um, and, um, yeah, I did it. I mean, it ended up pretty badly for myself. So what happened was I, I have glasses, uh, negative 0 0.25 and I took off those glasses, put on my swimming gogs. It fogged up. Um, I couldn't see the direction I was going all over. They had a boat telling me, Hey, go that, but they, it was in Thai. I didn't understand the language and they were, you know, <laughs> talking to me through this loudspeaker. I was going, you know, this and that, and I ended up pretty behind. But by the time I crossed the lake, it was, uh, it was I think, 600 meters, um, quite tired. Now, um, I could have done it differently, but now that I've had that experience, um, I know how to prepare better for next time, yes. Uh, another example I do want to give you is, and this will probably be a better example in terms of the... Uh, going right into your vulnerable spot, yeah. 
high school, I wanted to, ran for the student government. I had no experience with public speaking. I said, I'm going to mm-hmm. go. I'm going to run for this race. I My speech was, if you elect me, I'm going to do these things for you and 10 bullet points. I got up, went to the class. It was really bad. <laughs> People were like, what are you doing? I'm like, if you elect me, I'm going to do this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. It was just horrible, you know. So, But next year I ran again because from that experience, I learned, learned a lot. And I won. Mm-hmm. I won the race. Uh, oh. by, by a large vote, yeah. So, wow. So you've had the huge, let's say, fuck up in the first yeah. uh, first time you ran, yeah. and then the next time you learned so much through it yeah. that you actually became really good at it. Like, yes, did you then prepare exactly. also differently? And like, okay, that didn't work last time, so I'm trying now something else. Yeah, I, it took. You know, I had 12 months. I had that trauma, <laughs> that horrible experience, and mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. So yeah, I prepared really well and. The I had already primed my mind to kind of write that speech because the failure was just bad enough that I'm like, okay, you know what? I know exactly yeah. what not to do. But then the hunger was there. The, the desire to win that election was there. Yes. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Because like for me, I had a similar experience also with public speaking uh, back in the high school. And then after that, I hated public speaking so much. Anytime I needed to go in front of a class, I was like just jittery and like, can't somebody just get me off here and like try to get around any situation that I need to speak in front of more than like four people. Um, and so that was actually quite a long time that I did not do any public speaking. Thanks for sharing that example. Perfect, because that was that's the point I was going to make, which is this technique can can be risky in that, you know, if it goes, especially for a kid who, who hasn't learned how to regulate their emotions, you know, it can stay in their system for a long time. And that can serve as some kind of traumatic experience that you'll never want to repeat that again uh, if you don't have that support, right? So, yeah. 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 But actually, funnily enough, now I do really see whenever I do have a public speaking experience, uh, I learn so much through it still. Like every time I, I go through that again, yeah. now I learn so much. I'm yes. I'm noticing, I'm getting, a, with every time I do it again, a lot more calm, a lot yes. more sort of self-reassured and, and getting a self-belief. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Like with right. every time I, I go through that experience again. So yeah. it's actually, even though it's very difficult because the emotions come up again, I guess, I don't know, through that experience again, or just generally public speaking, I think is for most people, uh, real difficult. And so every time you go then through this event, through this situation of speaking in front of people and making you so nervous and excited, but at the same time, also like freaking anxiety is popping up. That makes it really, really difficult to go over, over and over through it again. And recently now, it's not that much public speaking, but it came back the exact same thing for me now being in Uruguay, not being able to really speak Spanish, but going around uh, Uruguay by myself. And then, okay, needing to buy some shoes, getting to top up uh, like some card or something in a shop where the person did not speak a single word English. And I had like my 25 words in Spanish. And that makes me so nervous all the time when I cannot you know, really communicate with words because that's the usual uh, modem that I use. 
and I couldn't use that. And then I was like, okay, I was standing in front of like still some people were in the shop and I needed to like show her with hands and numbers and like, what do I want? And that was again, freaking difficult. And, um, it was good that I went through it because it takes again off this little fear of, okay, this person doesn't get you when you speak English. So try something else. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And thanks for sharing the example because, um, going back to the, your experience of you as a, as a kid, um, you know, with that public speaking experience, and now you don't feel that way because now you feel your kids you still has that fear, but the mature version of you knows how to nurture that kid. Like it's going to be okay. Right. So you're sort of regulating your own emotions. Right. So imagine as a kid, as we are growing up, how different would our life be? How different would the world be? Had we known these techniques or even if we had people around us who could help us regulate these emotions, you know, help us understand the world is safe. There are risks you have to take, but you know what? That's the way to go and you'll be fine. You know, so just having that kind of assurance would be, would be so much more helpful. Right. So and I'm sure if you were to raise kids today on, you know, as a parent, I mean, how differently would you do it compared to your own, right? So, because yeah. you've learned so much. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Like, um, it's it's also like super important, like what, what you said now, the difference between having an emotion and being controlled or being the emotion. So like with having the emotion, it's like, oh, I have this emotion. It's really strong and it it's trying to tell me something. And then again, what you said, you have this gap again to decide whether you want to follow it, want to follow this idea of this emotion, maybe because it's coming from a traumatic experience or it's coming from something else. And you're still able with this space to decide however you want to react. And with having an emotion, you can make that decision. But when mm -hmm. you think, oh, it's me being this emotion, there's just no way you can yeah. make a different choice. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's just really important to, well, at least was for me such a big learning when, when going through these hours of meditation that there can really emotion pop up. You notice something is really intense. And then, I don't know, 10 minutes later, it's like, oh, where did it go? I forgot about it because right. thoughts were popping up and distracted me. Yeah. The usual thing. But it's was such a liberating feeling noticing oh it's emotion emotions that are coming up and they're going yeah the same way they come up yes yes right um one of the things that i've learned about again meditations and also mm -hmm. um in terms of emotions in general is there is a different language right which is not a verbal language, uh, not English language for sure, or any other. Um, it's more, it comes more in the form of uh, symbols, a symbolic language, what I would say, which is imagine you're going into meditation and you feel things, you see things, you sense things, right? And it's not a verbal cue, they're not a verbal language, but then one moment you're seeing this nice, you know, mountain or an ocean, it makes you, it, it calms you down. Um, 
there's no words to it really, but it does things to you, right? So one of the beauty of meditation is it allows you to go beyond that verbal language of reading, writing, talking, and then go in that space of symbols where you sense things, see things, uh, whether it's a, a you know yin-yang symbol or a mountain or a river, and that gives you certain feelings and sensations. Um, and that also does a lot of healing work. Yeah, I would say that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe it's not even like, as you said, not like just the language, or we use obviously a different language to describe it, but it also just feels more like the energetic part. It's just something that we feel and we try to label it as uh, to to convey it to no, to another person, but essentially, what's just moving is some some energy that's moving yeah. around, and it m makes us feel a certain way based on where it's placed, how intense it is. But it's really difficult to convey that to another person because, yeah, it feels I, I hate it, ha uh, had experiences with my emotions. And you had completely different ones. And we just try through language to see, does that fit? Does, yeah. does what I say, that he also have a similar experience? Just to mm. see if that, that connects in a way. Yes. And, and quite often, or like a couple of times I had that, um, especially when uh, after a mushroom experience, when I um, talked to somebody else, after I, I took uh, um, uh, psychedelic mushrooms, it was so difficult to convey anything of what I experienced and felt in that <laughs> on that trip. It's, right. it's impossible, especially to somebody who had never taken anything. Yeah, it's exactly. almost impossible. Yeah. I, I really had a nice image after the first trip that I had. There was like such a huge um, uh, circle, like it was gigantic. I cannot cannot even grasp it. Of things happening inside of this circle of this globe just things moving colors and whatever and then there was a, a super tiny hair thin um a hair thin uh, um sort of uh was it a tube attached to it and then on the other hand was a, a tinier circle or, or something more open and for me that that image conveyed all the in this huge globe or a circle, all the emotions and experiences I had during that trip, and this tiny tube was language, meaning I needed to express all these huge uh, emotions, push that somehow through this this uh, um, tube of which is called language to the receiver of who had never experienced anything like that before, which was completely impossible. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Speak of symbolic language. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that was that was similar to um, I guess what you were referring to. It's like okay, emotions are really hard to describe, and especially when yeah. they're enhanced with uh, psychedelic experiences, it's really really difficult. But you also did have a psychedelic experience. I read at least. How was yes. that for you? So I've had, I've tried two uh, types of psychedelic. The first one was uh, Ayachuma, uh, what's also known as San Pedro. It has the, I forget the chemical compound in it. Um, 
Mylin, I, uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's the cactus from, from Peru and uh, the powder. Mm, it was not a pleasant experience, that one. Uh, I took about 15 grams of it and um, I did see colors and stuff. And uh, I felt this big mountain right behind me wherever I went, you know, but it was a bit of a unsettling experience. Uh, now, what did happen was after the experience, I felt supported out of nowhere. After that, mm -hmm. I always felt like there was this big mountain right behind me. You know, I felt that uh, sense of support and I had been looking for that. Um, oh, that's wonderful. This second one was uh, the um, psilocybin mushroom. Mm -hmm. I took one gram um, and yeah, that was just a... A whole different experience. It gave me a preview of how good the world can be. <laughs> you know, it was almost like, yes, there's suffering in the world. There's bad stuff going on. But you know what? Everybody has their higher self attached to them. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Sanskrit word namaste, uh, I always knew in theory what it meant. But for the first time, I actually felt it, what that actually mm. means. That means... I bow to the uh, highest form of you. So meaning that, Julian, if you're suffering right now, something bad happened in your life and you, let's say you're crying and there is a sense in me saying, looking at you saying, you know what? I see you're suffering, but I bow to the highest form in you, which knows how to solve that problem. And you have that solution and bowing to that power as well, you know? So... That's I'm like, wonderful. wow, yes. I'm like, wow, I, I never actually felt that. Um, so that was quite amazing. And it just, everything just felt funny. I was looking at the rocks and the mountains, the trees, and it was just funny. You know, it was, yeah, it was good. Yeah. So the, the, the silo, uh, psilocybin experience, yes. Yeah. And uh, what what was like a couple of or maybe one of the most important learning that you took sort of, especially maybe with a background of um, questioning your your belief system and your, your thoughts constantly? Did you take any from uh, especially the psilocybin or just in general psychedelic experiences? Because that was for me very impactful. Yes, with the, the mushroom, um, the... Self-questioning was, I think there was a few layers to it. First was, okay, yes, there's suffering in the world. Uh, but my old belief was that I have to do something about it if I can. And now I questioned that. Now this new thought came, which was, I have the choice to not do anything about that. And there is a reason for it, which is people are powerful. People, when um, they can connect to their higher self, they can solve their problems as well. So, yeah. It sounds, it's almost antithetical to the way I've been living my life, but it was such a moment of release for me. Yeah. So I was questioning my own values about, I need to be there, get that done, help this person. But then there is a choice, like, I also have the choice not to do it and simply send love to that person and bow to that person's higher power. You know, that's it.
So what, that what did that sense of relief do to you or did it change you in, in some way? How, how do you feel about it now? Um, yes, of course, there was a sense of uh, release, freedom. And in a deeper sense, I felt more respect, gratitude to others. There was no more, I'm here, you're here, or I'm here and you're there, you know, different levels. There was more like, yes, there you go, unity, oneness. I felt that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everybody, it's a cliche. I know everybody talks about it, but I felt this through that experience too, which was like, you know, we really are one that we have access to that power. All of us do, yeah. And if you want to share, um, I would be really curious about it at least. Um, one uh, of the things that especially you yourself were working on uh, when questioning your beliefs or your, your, your values, when there was something that um, was really important, because as you were out here, as I grow older and hopefully wiser, I've benefited immensely from this vital habit of questioning deeply rooted beliefs and choosing or eliminating with consciousness. And yes. if you want to sh- share like one or two of, of those other beliefs or thoughts that you questioned or, or eliminated, that would be, I think, really, really cool. Yeah, sure. Um, got a, quite a few. So um, one of the things was... I was uh, going back into the past again, um, brought up in a predominantly Hindu culture, uh, Hindu Buddhist culture, went to a Christian school. Um, And I could see the teachings were different, right? Especially when it comes to religion, um, in, in, in the way they practice it. So let's say take Christianity, for example, there's good, evil, you know, God, devil, black, white. Uh, Buddhism, nothing like that. Everything is relative. Um, and the concept of God in, uh, you know, doesn't really matter, you know, whatever. It, it, it's, it's not relevant. Hinduism, many gods. <laughs> it's not one God, two gods, thousands of them. Um, you pick your choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Um, that diversity allowed me some flexibility in terms of choosing how I want to live my life. So in Nepal, I never ate beef, you know, as a, from a Hindu family, you don't, you just don't eat that. Uh, now I always wonder why not, you know, I mean, there's nothing, uh, there is no reasoning as to why. Uh, but once I got out of it, yeah, my transit, my flight to the U S transit was in Singapore. I was, I got stuck there because I missed something in my boarding pass. And I was eating all these burgers that tasted so good, right? And later on, I find out it's like, oh, beef, uh, cow. So I'm like, okay, there it goes. <laughs> that's the first. <laughs> that's the first crossover. I'm like, okay, it's done, <laughs> you know. So, um, and you know, that allowed me to enjoy something I never had before, right? So mm. now I eat much less meat, but I'm just using that example to make a point that, uh, you know, I questioned something, I did it, and then I felt something new. And that gave me a whole new experience and changed my identity. 
same things are happening now with uh, in triathlon. Say, you know, I'm I'm constantly achieving new personal best records. Mm-hmm. And uh, just yesterday, I did a race uh, which was eight eight and a half minutes faster than my previous ones. Even my coach said this would be it would be magical if you did five minutes faster. But this was eight and a half minutes. I'm like, wow, the body is much stronger than what the mind thinks, you know. And yeah. likewise, the mind is much stronger than what the body thinks. So you have to question your limits. You have to question your beliefs. You have to question everything. And that's the first step. And then the second step would be to go into that exploration mode. Okay, you know what? Let me try. Let me try this. Of course, there are certain rules like you don't want to hurt yourself or others. Um, and then see how that feels. There comes many types of discoveries there. Yeah. Yeah. And especially through t- uh, triathlon, what sort of, because that's quite a endurance sport and there the mind kicks in very, very frequently as I know. Um, yeah. That's, as I remember, at least quite a sort of battle, like thoughts come up telling you, oh, you should stop. Uh, you might hurt yeah. your knee or uh, yeah. just things that you should um, hold back and, and uh, go, go back. But, how do you do th- how do you deal with that because you yes. made a new challenge a new a new best record so i guess you yes. challenged those thoughts so for me it was important first of all it was important to understand that there are two types of pain right when you're mm-hmm. uh, an athlete one is the pain that could lead to injury where mm-hmm. you actually need to it's not good right so and you can sense it the other pain type of pain is just your body telling you your mind telling you stop 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 don't go there i don't know how to take care of you if you do that right so it's more like a protective kind of pain where your mind is telling you you know don't go in there don't venture out there it's it's dangerous so you want to be able to identify that and if the second kind of pain where it's just coming from fear uh there again i use the challenge skill sweet spot right uh, i don't go all into it like that but i kind of push it a little bit at a time. Mm. So for instance, um, just last week, um, I had I felt like I had some kind of infection in my ear because of the, the, uh, the water going in after swimming. And before the triathlon race, I'm like, do I need to go to the doctor? All that. So this has happened before. And uh, I was nurtured by a very caring, you know, caring mom who was always like, something wrong? Let's go to the hospital, you know? And that's how my mindset has been. But yesterday I did the race, I swam. Um, all that ear pain is gone now. You know, a lot of this is just your body or your mind trying to tell you, stop, stop, stop. And another example is um, cycling 20K, your thighs hurt a little bit, right? Again, there. A little bit, I yeah. Have to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to ask, is it, what kind of pain is this? Is this something serious that I need to stop? And that does happen, don't get me wrong, right? In this Ironman triathlon, a lot of actually world-class athletes stop because they know this is the wrong kind of pain. They need to stop and they just mm-hmm. stop and they, they don't do the race anymore. So uh, part of the wisdom is to be, to be able to differentiate that kind of pain. So my thighs hurt a little bit and I've had this experience before. So I know that it's that kind of pain where my body just wants, my mind wants my body to slow down because it's trying to protect me. And you know what? I push myself further, no problem. And when I start running uh, five minutes into the run, all of that pain is gone. But now there's a new kind of pain, which is more about the lungs, right? It's like running now. 
And again, I'm used to that kind of pain. So I'm like, okay, this is just the spot I want to be in where there's just enough pain and I'm going to push it through, right? Because uh, I had set a goal. Like I had my timing written down on my wrist. I need to get this time. So, and I did. Um, so there we go. Yes. So um, that's where that's, I... That's amazing. Congrats as well. Like yes. it's it's really cool that you notice that right now you have this awareness of yourself to be yeah. able to notice okay is what kind of pain is that is that yeah. actually hurting my body and to be able to distinguish that because you need to be really sensitive for that to mm -hmm. notice it and I guess you yes. build that by with practice but it's it's cool that you can share that so distinctively yeah right right. Thank you for that. And, and you know, I also want to, just for uh, transparency, I'm not, I never was an athlete. I was this kind of weak guy in school, you know, as a kid. And speed was really slow, didn't really run. Uh, but I took up triathlon because two years seriously uh, studying and applying these self-development practices and reading a lot of books about it, um, a mentor of mine suggested that I start to triathlon, start with the body, you know, instead of getting too mental about it and that's why i got into it and the the reason i'm doing it is because i want to program myself again talk about self-programming i want to program myself so that i can i know what it means to actually strive yes to mm -hmm. strive where i'm in that zone of it, it feels a bit painful but i know that's the kind of pain that's helping me grow And I'm I'm getting better at that now. So yesterday I ran this race, and come home in the evening. I uh, you know I find myself working on my low ticket offer for my uh, business. You know, so I'm I'm working on a product. So, and I can see how that experience translates from athletics, fitness, to my work or my business or even in my relationships. And it's that same kind of situation uh, place where I see like okay. This feels about right, whereas that I feel challenged. There's some kind of pain there, but it's that good kind of pain. So let me just push through this and let, let me get mm. this done and try to achieve my new personal best. So, yes. That's awesome. So you, you did it actually out of the um, curiosity or also a little push from your, from your mentor to get out of the, your mental thinking things through into experiencing it again, as you exactly. said at the beginning, the experiential wisdom, yeah. and to really notice how that feels not just how theory about it is but then you also yeah. added to uh it not only helped you in noticing uh your strength in triathlon but it yeah. actually translated into this complete other field of writing into actually pushing there through those limitations as well and and noticing okay that is the good kind of pain where I should push through and then something bigger and be better emerges. Exactly. Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. Yes. And uh, something that was also really interesting for me when you said, okay, I need to get out of my mind and really experience it. it that's also something that I fall into quite often. I would say to just think things through, I, I, I better read through it again, or maybe I find some more information or resources about it before actually doing it. And so an important or interesting concept that came back to me was um, that of intuition, which you also wrote a little bit about. So what is maybe your perspective of intuition and how is it, you know, especially in, in such a 
mind-focused, uh, uh, I guess, work as well. That as a writer, you need to a lot of things in your mind all the time. Why is intuition important, and how do you use it? Wow, it's such a deep question. You know, I um, okay. So I will, I will try my best to answer this question. Um, because you want I'm to be challenged as well, I heard. Yes, 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 yes. Because I think next year, if you ask me this question, the answer might be different, right? But for now, the uh, for me, intuition is is my core. It's where my um, truest, most powerful self lies. Talk about that unity we talked about earlier, right? Where mm -hmm. all of us are, yes, literally connected in the quantum perspective, right? We just can't see things right now through our five senses. So intuition is probably that sixth sense, you know, where um, the information that comes, comes through that universal uh, computer of where things are being processed and it, it, it spits out this uh, answers, you know. Uh, again, that Part, I'm not an expert, so I won't go too much into it, but that's my understanding of it. Now, for me personally, one of my major goals this year is to be more intuitive. That's it, right? So, and I have actually worked out a sort of a formula for doing that, if I may share that. Okay, so you, you, you thought through <laughs> how intuition works. I love it. <laughs> that's exactly the way I would approach it too. So please share it. Yeah. So I call it the SIA, S-I-A model, right? So S stands for surrender, then intuition, and then action, right? S-I-A. So surrender is more like you actually observe, take a thorough inventory of what's happening right now in your life. So for me, I live in this jungle, in this forest house uh, with my partner here. I have all these things and I have this challenge that I'm working on. So is to first uh, surrender to what is actually happening, right? So the opposite of that surrender would be try to ignore it, neglect it. Let's say if there is a problem in a relationship, then you try to neglect it and focus on your work or vice versa. So that's not surrender. Surrender is where it's like, okay, this is actually happening. Yes, it's happening. It's true. You know, I embrace this. A um, bit like the caterpillar, turning into a uh, larvae and then, sorry, that and then from being a, from the uh, larvae to a butterfly, right? Where the caterpillar, caterpillar probably feels very suffocated. All these walls are forming around it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't understand. I'm pretty sure it doesn't understand, right? But by design, it is, that's what's supposed to happen for the better. And eventually it comes out as a butterfly. So that's surrender. And when I feel like when I surrender, then I get in more intuitive. It's almost like, okay, you know what? The surrender has happened. Now you're actually open to the answers. You're not fighting anything. Mm -hmm. And now the subconscious actually accesses that uh, sort of that universal library, you know, and then gets the answer or the answers could, could be many. So, and that's when intuition kicks in right after surrender when you get into that place of, okay, of gratitude, of surrender. And once the intuition comes in, then it's time to execute, right? So, because we're constantly getting intuition, like intuitive sense here and there, being able to take that and then now apply that into action 
and that's where the the fun begins for me <laughs> like mm. now i get it let me act on this you know so yeah so that's how i do it yes i'm not sure whether it's possible but it's the thought just came up and i kind of liked it um whether it's possible to do it right now like how would you go into mode of surrender maybe guiding me even through it how would you feel and notice intuition and then just going from there because that's ex honestly also something okay, that i'm no problem. in the past ready? days was working on so yeah i'm ready let's do it okay uh you are you okay with time yes could take five to seven ten minutes let's see okay so I, i'm completely open it's good? the evening whatever okay okay, okay. all right Okay, so Julian, I want you to relax yourself right now. Um, move your body if you need to. Put yourself in a relaxed state, very comfortable position. And start with one breath. You inhale and exhale, followed by another. And if it feels more natural, you can close your eyes as well. Inhale and exhale. And keep that going, inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide. Yes, you're feeling better, more relaxed with every breath. And as you do this, you feel all the sensations happening in your body from the toe to the crown, crown to the toes. You just observe them. You just observe them. Let it happen. Trillions of cells in your body that are doing its magic to make your life possible right now. And you're feeling all kinds of things from all kinds of organs all over, all inside your body. Even the act of simple breathing is surrender because if you do nothing, you'll breathe anyway. Appreciate that. You doing nothing will allow yourselves to do their thing. That's surrender. The little mitochondria is giving you energies. The cells cleaning all the dirt they don't need, dividing themselves. So much surrender is happening in you without you even being aware. So right now with your breath, you're going to power them up. All the, about 50 trillion cells in your body. Now you bring yourself into complete relaxation. Good. Okay, Julian, now I want you to, as you're in this relaxed state, imagine a, your, all your emotions, if they were to turn into a scenery, it could be anything, what would it look like? Just the picture of it. It could be in the sense of form of colors, images, whatever. 
Would you have lakes, mountains, rivers, oceans, buildings, forests? If you were to take all your emotions and convert them into this scenery, just let it happen. Just feel it. Don't think. Just let it happen. There is no good. There is no bad. Just this one scenery. Okay. And if you feel comfortable with your in that relaxed state, even maybe with your eyes closed as well, I want you to tell me what you see. I'm next to either big lake or even the ocean. Yeah, but on that beach or very close to the coast is a really steep plateau or like a, I don't know, like 50, 60 meters high plateau that's sort of connected to a mountain and on both sides it's beach along that and further inland becomes very um, how do you say that close vegetation or just like very a lot of trees a lot of bushes and it's connected to an even bigger mountain that's going up next to that ocean with a lot of trees and bushes and yeah that just going on further so i see both the ocean a nice plateau almost like mm -hmm. a, a castle plateau next to the jungle almost wow so what I heard you say is that there's this lake or the ocean, there's the beach close to the coast, there's a 50 to 60 meter plateau connected mm -hmm. to a mountain with both sides, they have beach, which is connected to the inland. And then that has trees and bushes connected to a bigger mountain with more trees and bushes and just turns into a forest and goes on, right? Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, just surrender to that. Surrender to that um, location and that all these things that you feel right now. Let it just be. That's you. Now, slowly bring into awareness one challenge. And you don't have to share any of this with me if you don't like it. But bring into your awareness one issue or one challenge that you're facing right now. Okay, and if you were to bring that issue into the scenery, where do you see it? Where where is that in this entire picture? It could be in the form of any non-living matter, right? So, what part of the scene would be connected to that issue you're facing? Um, just with the last word that you spoke, there was a huge wall emerging on the on one side of that sort of plateau uh, on the beach that was yeah, like impossible to climb over. It was like hundreds of meters high, just a straight wall. Mm. As a feeling of, I guess being locked in or something on that side. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 
So good. Now I want you to surrender to that wall too. Let it happen. And what I heard you say is that there's this wall emerging on one side of the plateau, about 100 meters high, which is higher than the plateau, which is about 50 mm. to 60 meters high. And you feel locked, being locked there. Okay. Mm. Really surrender to that. Feel it. And now you ask that wall, what does it want? Okay, then and surrender to the answers again. Just ask it with complete love. What does the wall need? Funny, it, it felt very like a dry wall and somehow that what the need what the wall needed was water because it felt so rigid mm -hmm. to become more flexible mm -hmm. okay good so the dry wall needed water and you gave it water it's more flexible now is that what i'm hearing okay yeah. ask it more what else does it need and listen for the answers just because you surrender to the wall and you're listening, you're here to listen to the wall. That's it. What does it need? What else? Connection is the word that came up. It was almost like the wall wanted to be hugged and feel connected. Good. Okay, now, if you like, go ahead and hug the wall, give it all the connection it wants. It's like the wall is shrinking now. Mm. And all as all this is happening, you can always ask the wall, even as it's shrinking, is there anything else it needs? Anything else? Because this is your land. You have all the power. You created this entire view. You're super powerful here. You can give it anything it wants, no matter how silly, small, or big it is. wants to be able to move as well not just being flexible mm. also move. okay it wants to be able to move wow okay and how can you give that to the wall you can ask that question to the wall too how or maybe you have a solution and you can give it to it yes let's do that right now I can give it the ability to just move towards the ocean and be in the water 
like a whale that that's basically being held by the water because if the whale will be out of water also die mm. and the wall being in the water feels held wow so it's almost like the water wall being in the ocean is like the whale it needs it to survive and mm. actually has more freedom there wow okay uh, if you like let it make that happen right now it's your landscape so you can make it happen good yes your body is relaxing even more now yeah yeah energy is moving throughout my whole body mm. good and as this changes you're giving the wall what it needs and now it's more like a wall whale <laughs> mm -hmm. as it uh, needs um you can for the final time you can you can ask again is there anything else it needs and also give it the assurance that if it needs anything in the future no problem you're there mm -hmm. to provide it okay so uh it's a part of you that loves you wants to protect you so yeah it, it's also looking for a safe space and in, in in your emotional landscape so anything else before we uh move on here with and yes with the wall anything else it needs now it also just wants to jump like dolphins in the water i think that should be doable too yeah. <laughs> wow so it's playing now with a like a happy kid okay so yeah what happened with this dry wall that was projecting itself like 100 meters high in front of this plateau is now flexible because it wanted water. You gave it plenty of water. It needed connection uh, and you hugged it, big warm hug. It feels, and then it started shrinking because it felt so connected. There's, there's no longer this strong rigid wall. And it also wanted to move, go towards the ocean because that's where it belonged. Uh, and live like a whale in and out. And finally, it also started jumping, playing like a baby dolphin. <laughs> so now this wall that was once uh, next to the plateau is playing like a happy, joyful dolphin in the ocean. Yes, beautiful. Okay, Julian, now come back to your landscape, right? And see how it looks now surrender to it whatever you see do you feel do you see any changes in terms of what you see or even how it feels now well i see now that there's a an empty cut in the landscape where the wall was before mm. but it moved out so that's still rather a residue of that mm -hmm. but I do feel right now it's it's feels very turbulent because a lot of energy is right now moving mm -hmm. but it feels more open more free you can breathe more deeply the air feels fresher and cleaner okay good so there's the residue of the wall which has left it does feel a bit turbulent because things are moving and the, the air feels more open and free. Okay. So mm. I'd like you to take this moment, Julian, with your eyes closed, no, no rush. 
come back to that state of relaxation. And once again, feel that residue there. Okay? Surrender to it. Surrender to that turbulence inside you. It's nothing for you to do. Just surrender to it. As you breathe in freedom and enjoy that open, free air that you have now created. Now let's go to that residue. Let's become aware of it and see if it's meant to be there in your emotional landscape or if it's asking something from you, if it needs something from you. Because you're very powerful. It's your landscape. You can give it anything. Or maybe not. Maybe it just wants to be there. Whatever it is, just take a moment, no rush, to feel that residue and ask it what it needs. feels that it just wants to be remembered and has been there. But the most important part is actually that it will be served something good. That there's no like an empty spot and that should be filled intentionally and consciously with something that's beneficial for the overall landscape. Wow. Great. And is that something you would like to do is to leave it there, remember it for um, to remind you of something good? Yes. Can you give that to the residue? Can you make it happen? Would you like to make it happen? Yeah. 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 Yes. It's already forming the image of a lot of colorful flowers and plants being in that area. Um, the other, the rest is more monotonous green, let's say. Yes. And that's wow. going to be a very col colorful area. Um, distinct from the rest. Wow. Wow. Great. So really, um, thank that residue. What was the wall before? It's amazing now with these colorful, beautiful flowers. And turn your awareness now into the turbulence that, how does that turbulence manifest in this landscape? Where is it? What is it? It's probably still the wind going on. It's still quite active. Okay. Um, but it's, or less, a lot less and a lot calmer. And also it feels like the, the trees, the vegetation is, is calming it as well. Just by being there, the waves still feel a little bit turbulent, but it's calming as well. Mm, and so it, it, it started calming down. Uh, does yeah. that mean it got something it wanted or it, it was just a process that it's, it's calming down on its own? 
or does it need something? Let me ask that. Does it still need something that calming down turbulence? No, it feels more like the energy of the the change of the wall moving of some something else being created just oh. need a lot of energy okay and that's after that change of that move it's coming down again and it's just part of the the process okay let it happen you know you have all the power so whatever uh it's just part of that process so just you observe it happening right now let it happen and surrender to that process as well of this beautiful turbulent wind coming down and enriching the entire landscape. And you can let me know when it has calmed down uh, or when you feel that it's it's find a good spot, the wind, to exist there with grace, you know, with happiness, with joy. Yeah. yeah. So what I didn't notice before, but there was not really sun. It was very bright, but not sunshine. Mm -hmm. So sunshine is appearing now. Amazing. And Amazing. Making it all a... A round appearance, a round scenery. And <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. I notice it. Yeah. So now you have this beautiful scenery of there's the ocean beach, this 50 to 60 meter plateau that's connected to the mountain, beach on both sides, inland, trees, bushes to a bigger mountain. And what was the wall before is now not there. That wall has transmuted into a playful dolphin-like thing in the ocean, happily playing. And where that wall was is now this beautiful, colorful, maybe a garden with beautiful flowers swaying to that wind that is serving like the oxygen for the whole landscape. Wow. Um, Anything else that you see in this landscape? Oh, and the sun. Yes. So the sun is there too now, you know, moving around. It's beautiful. Yes. How do you feel now? Very present, very noticing my emotions, the the energy moving in my body. Great. And um, yeah, more, more relaxed from the beginning on mm. it started to relax me more and more. And good. So now this is your emotional landscape. You surrender to it, right? It's there for you. You created it. Mm -hmm. It's your, you're super powerful in this landscape and things will constantly change. Right now, this is what you have and send your gratitude 
to all the parts in your landscape. And then you can come back to the present moment of the podcast. <laughs> So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First of all, thank you so much. Thank you for going through it, yes. Yeah. That was a that was a whole journey that I just went through in this in my mind. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So that's something, it. yes. Something I use for uh what I learned as well and something I uh use for just surrendering and tapping into intuition. At, and after this experience, I settled with it for sometimes it can get take two to three days, mm-hmm. and then the message becomes clear, and then I can act on that. Right? So, but mm-hmm. this has started the process, yeah. Especially with focus on that um, barrier or something that the, for me the wall was signaling, yeah. and then that's something you work on. Then in the next two three days, it's coming up. Yes. Then. So you've already worked on it in the symbolic mm. language form, right? Yeah. The issue is there. Now, now, I don't know what it is, right? And, I, you know, so the issue was you saw that and then you also solved it. The solution is there. The answers are there now in the symbolic form. <clears throat> so now you want to allow time for integration to the analytical mind, right? To the brain, what you felt. Now you want to integrate that here. Yeah. And then uh, as it integrates, you'll get a clear idea of what actions you need to take. Yeah. Wow, thank you so much. I feel so grateful right now that you guided me through this. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, feels nice. Like I noticed really a lot of was was moving my body while while shifting the landscape. Uh so that was really, really cool. And you, you do that exercise for yourself as well from time yes. to time? Yes. Mm. I do, yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. And and how let me ask you then different, differently. How does does intuition now, after doing those exercises, um, feel for you? And maybe also what value do, does it have for you? So in this exercise we just did, the intuition uh, already came, right, in, in the symbolic mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, this is one really powerful technique that I learned um, uh, to access my intuition. Right? Yeah, so... Um, basically, uh, I, I was looking for a technique or a tool that would take me from surrender to intuition. Mm. And this is one of those tools, the emotional landscape. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it's basically like in a way shuts off the mind by imagining things and then you just let it happen, which is then the intuitive unconscious mind doing its thing. And that's sort of how you trick it to, okay, let's get focused more on the intuition on um, yes. the gut feeling or the heart or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So that's one way for the mm-hmm. intellect to understand it, the way you described it. Yeah, that's one way. Now, there could be many ways to understand it as well, right? So if you ask someone from maybe a totally different background who is less analytical and more, more into the uh, feeling, they might have a different answer to what you said, right? But that's one of the ways to look at it, yeah. Okay. So that, and what? when you did that, what you just did, Julian, is you're now integrating it. You see the way mm-hmm. you explained it, like, okay, you know what? I felt it, but let me, let me try to understand this well. And this exactly yeah. is the integration process. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. 
I, I feel a bit like brain dead now. It's like feeling a lot of things in my yes. body. So, so like, yeah, well, you yeah. want to uh, feed yourself um, good food next uh, mm -hmm. two days or so, two, three days, drink lots of water, sleep well. And that's mm -hmm. what integration is also about, is to okay. kind of nourish yourself really well. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. Okay. Uh, I, I feel just right now, in a way, just taking my intuitive mind, uh, my intuitive mind, it sounds weird, my intuition, mm -hmm. um, just, just asking you basically what else is really important to you, what you would like to share with me or with any, anyone who's listening right now or feels intuitive for you or speaks to you that you would like to share. Yeah, I would the what I would like to share, and thank you again, Julian, for that op this opportunity. Uh, what I'd like to share is um, life is precious. Um, let's be grateful. And yes, it's true. The best things come in the simplest forms. Mm -hmm. Yes, so it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, so yeah, start with the gratitude, I would say. Um, and just be kind. Yeah. I think if there's one thing I would leave with, I would just be kind. That's it. Because <laughs> kindness is the code, you know, it, it, it's a nutshell for so many good things in, inside kindness. So yeah, that's why I just be kind. Yeah. Wonderful. Then I give you that opportunity to just leave with kindness. Yeah. Thank awesome. you, Julian. Yes.